For community banks and smaller financial institutions, the next wave of digital transformation is no longer a theory, but a reality. The question is, what is it going to take to get them there? On today's episode, you'll find out from two people who are leading the way, Ben Soppet of Unify Money and Peter Gleiman from Jack Henry and Associates. Listen to the incredible things that they are doing together here on Dave and Dawn Demystify. From the studios of NMD Plus in the UK and US comes the Dave and Dom Demystify show. Dom Demystify Show, making sense of the world of fintech and digital finance. Sit back and listen as the two Ds take a subject and chat it through to make it clearer and easier to understand. And now, here are your hosts, Dave Wallace and Dom Mystery. Demystify. So welcome to today's episode. And today we have two guests from the US. We've got Ben Soppit from Unify Money and Peter Gleiman from Jack Henry. Ben, Peter, welcome to the show. Would you mind just doing a brief introduction about yourselves and the companies you represent? Ben, why don't we start with you? Oh, thank you. Ben Soppert, co-founder and CEO of Unify Money. We are a multi-asset digital wealth management platform for community financial institutions. We are pre-integrated into Jack Henry's Bano digital online banking front end and been working with Vano for three, four months now. And yeah, excited to talk about what we're doing. Peter, over to you. Great. Nice to be talking to you gentlemen today. Peter Gleiman, I'm a managing director of corporate strategy at Jack Henry and Associates. I've been with the company a little over three years now. I was co-founder of a company, Gizio, which is a personal financial management company here in the States. We work with community banks and credit unions. And since the acquisition, I've been working on digital strategy for Jack Henry, focusing on working with third-party fintechs like Unify Money and making it easier for folks like that to integrate into our digital platform. And within the last year or so, been focusing on corporate dev, corporate strategy as it relates to fintechs and crypto. Fantastic. Fantastic. So Thanks. Ben and Pete, welcome to the show. Delighted to have you here. So Ben, can we start with you? So I guess Unify Money... His origin is more around B2C. And I think at some point you've kind of pivoted and then you're looking to partner with community banks and credit unions. Could you just start by sort of explaining some of the rationale behind that? And then we can get into the detail of how you're doing it. Absolutely. We created Unify Money to deliver a far simpler, easier solution for consumers to save and invest. Our perspective was that the industry had really solved for friction in payments, largely because it was in their interest. You know, it's in the interest of Visa and MasterCard, large merchants and large issuers and acquirers to get people to spend more on their cards. So they made it super easy, you know, Amazon, Uber, etc. But it's still just as hard to save and invest as it was 30 years ago. And why is that? Well, one view is that it's not in Chase's interest to have 
your money held in an ETF with Vanguard. It's in your interest as a consumer, but not necessarily the large banks and the large financial institutions. So we're left in a situation where less than 30% of consumers directly invested in the stock market. Stock market is history's greatest mass market wealth creation engine ever created. And yet it's still a minority of more affluent people that get to take advantage of that. The average age of starting to save for retirement is 32. You've already lost 12 years of your compound interest, you know, your long-term wealth management strategy, the most important 12 years, the first 12 years. So we felt that the way to make it easy, as easy as paying for an Uber, was to really integrate it into your banking. And our first concept was really to do all of that ourselves. And it's tremendously hard to acquire customers, tremendously expensive, economically unviable, we felt. And two of our investors are actually owners or directors of regional banks. And they really convinced us that what banks had was consumers and deposits, but what they lacked was product. What we had was a ton of product, but no consumers or deposits. So we could actually achieve the same ambition, the same end vision of unifying all of your financial services into a single interface. We could actually achieve that by working with banks through platforms like Jack Henry Dano. So we pivoted about six, seven months ago, and it's been an incredibly fast and exciting journey to discover how much demand there is from community financial institutions, both banks and credit unions, to really evolve from their core and take advantage of what open banking has enabled them to do. So we are fully committed to the B2B2C route and... Yeah, working diligently with Peter and his colleagues at Bano to make that a reality. Peter, from your side, you work with these community banks and credit unions, and I guess there's opportunities that you see to broaden the proposition. So I guess people like Unify Money enable you to do that for the customers at the end of the day of these institutions. Yeah, 100%. There are only so many things that you can do really well. And then there's a point where you need to make it easier for fintech service providers that specialize in a particular niche or focus, you know, make it easy for them to deliver those products to these banks and credit unions. I think, you know, one of the neat things about being on this side of things now, you know, because I've been in Ben's shoes, you know, when the company I founded, we made a similar pivot from direct to consumer to working with financial institutions. And it was an incredible challenge to get integrations with the large technology providers in the community financial services space. You know, you go so far as to win a client who'd be interested and then it would be, well, let's see if we can get, you know, our core, our digital banking vendor to integrate your product. Well, you know, here's the price and we've got a 12 month roadmap before we can fit you into any type of SSO arrangement. And it was incredibly challenging. So you could go and you could win over the hearts of the financial institutions with your product or service, but you still had this next challenge of getting the integrations done. And for a while, that ended up becoming, in a way, your competitive advantage. If you had the integrations with these larger vendors, that was one of the strengths, right? Because you could go to the other clients and say, we've got done our integration. But yeah, that's just not a good model. And everything we're doing right now, Jack Henry, is about breaking down those barriers so that if we've got a client that wants to integrate Unify Money, they should just be able to say, yeah, we want it and let's integrate it. So a big effort on our part has been creating our jackhenry.dev portal which makes it easy for fintechs to go and build plugins and 
you know, easily authenticate their platform in with ours so that they can go to market directly to our customer base. So it's nice to be on the other side and say yes and make it easy for folks like Ben to be able to deliver their product to our community financial institutions. Because honestly, unless we make it easy, they're just going to continue to be challenged and, you know, face a lot of the competitive pressures that we see from fintechs that are going directly to their customer base. And I think it took us three weeks to integrate with Bano which I believe is a record. That's amazing. We've been talking to some other platforms for over two years and we're no further on. So one of the observations that we've had is that there are one or two players at the absolute top of the market in terms of ease of integration and enabling of fintechs. And Jack Henry Bano is absolutely either one or number two. What that gives their customers, their clients, is an extraordinary advantage. You can go live with Unify Money in less than two days' work. And there's no development required. It's purely configuration. So it's really quite extraordinary. And if you talk to Fiserv's customers, they're hugely frustrated. Talk to Fiserv employees, they're hugely frustrated because they want to do the same. But it's big company problems and they haven't figured out how to solve for that yet. But Jack Henry has. So, I mean, we mentioned Bano a couple of times, but I'm still not clear <laughs> what it is. Is it a core platform? Is it a digital platform? Is it something else? Yeah, so Bano was its own company offering mobile banking and a few other solutions. And Jack Henry acquired Bano probably six years ago or so. And that became their forward-facing digital banking product offering. So you'll hear Bano as the product. Think of it as the front end for web and mobile digital banking. So everything else is built you know, around Bano to a degree. There are other API services into Jack Henry's stack beyond just the digital banking piece, but certainly that's a point of entry for many fintechs that are looking to deliver their services. You're talking about very fast, rapid access to market and products for community banks and the customers of community banks. For sure. Are you seeing a real kind of appetite for wealth management, but in its kind of broader sense? So, you know, I know Unify Money covers off a range of things, including cryptocurrencies. So is that something that community banks are really looking for to integrate as part of their propositions? Yeah, most definitely. And Ben, feel free to add to it. But I mean, what we're seeing is we have community financial institutions that are watching deposits go out the door to other service providers. We look at investments and crypto, there's third-party exchange services, centralized exchange services, that there is an outflow of deposits going to these service providers. So I think from a defensive position, community FIs recognize we need to be able to offer our customers a solution to this. And the good news is, you know, there's a lot of research that customers would prefer to get access to these types of services from their trusted you know, financial institution. And I think that's a story that I've heard resonate for the last 15 years that I've been in this space. It's just whether or not the community financial institutions are able to deliver. You know, what we'll see is fintechs will innovate quickly. And so consumers will gravitate to them. And then oftentimes the banks or credit unions catch up and then there's a migration to a degree or there's an acquisition that happens of that fintech into a larger financial institution. So that third-party fintech to a degree ends up disappearing or going away you know, regardless. So there's still this confidence and trust that consumers have with their community FI that by offering wealth services and other products through it resonates well with the consumer base. And the community FIs are hip to that. Ben, I don't know if you want to add your own 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a majority of community FIs already offer wealth management services through companies like LPL, you know, very established, very large companies like LPL, Raymond James, Satara. These are great solutions, but they really serve your traditional wealthy, older customer base. And it's generally not integrated into the bank's online banking. So what about the 25-year-old who is the customer of a community financial institution who wants to invest, who wants to you know, have some form of wealth management? If a community financial institution is not serving that 25 or 35-year-old, they're literally forcing them into the arms of Robin Hood and Coinbase. Do we really think that's a good idea that Robinhood and Coinbase are the companies that are helping at that 25-year-old for the next 30 years on their long-term wealth management journey? I don't think so. I think community financial institutions are far better placed to do that service. Now, up until this point, it's not economical to serve a 25-year-old with $1,000 in AUM. The likes of the traditional <laughs> RIA model is half a million or a million dollars on AUM, and then we'll talk to you. The beauty of technology and the rise of self-directed trading and investment platforms are that you can now serve those younger, more digitally focused, less affluent consumers and genuinely help them for the long term. And we're at that tipping point where the fintechs, the Varos, the cash apps, the neobanks, as were, have all now launched investment services or are launching them. You have all the investment fintech apps launching banking services. So it's very clear where the market is going. Community financial institutions have been slow to adapt to that, but they're actually ironically in a better position. If you're a very large fintech launching these services by yourself, everything's custom, everything's bespoke. It's a two-year, 20 million plus journey to launch relatively simple investment services. Whereas the great irony of the community financial services market is that it's actually quite simple from a technology perspective. If you're on Bano and if Unify Money is integrated in Bano, it makes it incredibly cheap, incredibly quick to roll out very sophisticated services for that financial institution's clients. So I think we're in this interesting state in the market where you're going to see those community financial institutions who adopt this at speed and those who don't, history will be the judge as to the merits of those two strategies. Is this product as a service in effect, really? I call it investment as a service. Yeah. Okay, great, great. So who takes care of the regulatory stuff behind the scenes? We do. Right. Fantastic. Yeah. So it's really plug and play. Yeah. In fact, it's not even plug. We've already done the plug. It's really just play. <laughs> it's play, yeah. It's just play. Yeah. Again, if you can be able to kind of enhance these institutions' propositions. I guess the question is, are there marketing and operations which sit around it able to keep up with technology? Now, normally, the marketing and operations teams are a bit ahead of the technology. So speed is fantastic. But how do these institutions keep up with the opportunity? Different entities have different capacity. You, know, you mentioned marketing. Some of them don't even have a marketing team. You know, They haven't really had to. They don't do a great deal of marketing. There's been very little new to talk about for some decades. So we've tried by really working with individual community financial institutions and also organizations like the state banking organizations. So IBAT, you know, we were just at IBAT in Austin. 
FedFIS, Bankers Helping Bankers. There's a number of organizations that really help represent and provide that bridge between community financial institutions and fintechs. And that's been incredibly helpful for us, and it's really informed our strategy. So we actually have a compliance playbook, for example, that you can literally give to the head of compliance. We have a risk assessment. You can hand it over and hopefully 99% of the questions that they will have have already been answered. We have a marketing campaign that we've developed and there's two parts of the marketing. One is, do you have collateral to use? Some of it will be digital. Some of it will be posters in the branch. We've actually created that. The tagline is the best investing app is your bank. And it's customizable by the financial institution and they can choose which of those assets they use. But it's, as you said, plug and play. You can download the assets, put your logo in, all the compliance is in there, all the disclaimers are in there, and you can use it off the bat. We're trying to ensure that community financial institutions who want to move fast can do so with full confidence. One of the challenges in the market is that there's a lot of opportunities to talk to the head of innovation at community financial institutions. And the problem is we all agree with each other, but quite often the people who are stopping innovation for good intent are the compliance teams and the risk teams. And unfortunately they're going to different conferences full of compliance people and they're all in rabid agreement with each other. And one of the things I think we need to solve for is how do we get the innovation people and the compliance people in a room together so that compliance can become a framework for innovation and not a barrier. Can I ask a question just slightly offline in that, you know, my perception, because I haven't been to the US in the last couple of years, especially, but when I had credit unions, when you kind of visit very, very traditional banking, right? But when you look at all the neo activity in America, I mean, there's hordes of brand new organizations. What is it that credit unions need to do now with tech to compete with these guys? Do they need to do more than just banking? Part of the burdens on technology providers like us, because the majority of those credit unions do not have the resources internally to provide the technical expertise versus a neobank who goes and hires 200 engineers to work on one thing, right? So I think some of the burden falls on us. I do think we'll see a shift. We're already seeing a little bit of credit unions, community FIs in terms of the type of talent they're hiring. You're seeing more technology hires, you know, maybe not even so much to build stuff from scratch, but in order to engage with fintechs and other third parties. Some of them are looking, how do we partner with these neobanks? If you look at a lot of the neobanks, a lot of them work with community financial institutions that provide banking as a service to these neobanks. I think we'll see product mixes change a little bit. Not everything is going to be about deposits and loans. You know, there's going to be other products and services that our community FIs are going to have to consider. Maybe there's opportunities for our community FIs to offer high yield stablecoin deposit solutions. We need to rethink a little bit of what that product mix looks like. I'm not a banker, so I know that there's a lot of devil in those details from a regulatory perspective of how you can approach those different products and offer them to your customers. But I think that kind of has to be part of the narrative as things continue to change. Again, it feels like this is a way of offering choice as well. So, you know, it opens up a new channel for younger people to actually develop a relationship with the community FIs in a way that they perhaps wouldn't be looking to do. And I think it's really interesting. That whole thought of bringing other investments to a younger audience through community FIs, I think is a really interesting play, to be honest with you. So, 
I don't know whether it kind of sets you up in competitions with the Neos, but it feels like there might be a day of reckoning coming for them because there's now alternatives. You know, it's worth remembering that crypto is less than 1% of global assets and it attracts over 50% of media attention. So <laughs> it's useful to remember that. It's also useful to remember that rapid market changes are entirely normal. It is the first time most Gen Zs and millennials have experienced this. But there's a fantastic book called This Time It's Different, looking at 800 years of similar boom and busts. And put it in that perspective, this is entirely normal. Whether it's six months or 30 years, we will not even remember this minor blip in the greater scheme of things. I was asked a question by a banker at IBAT in Austin. And the question was, you know, is this going to put people off investing the crypto crash? I don't think it will. You know, we've seen this massive change in culture where investing has become almost entertainment. We've seen retail investing go from 10% of total traded volume to over 30%. That's an extraordinary cultural change. These people are not going to stop investing, but I think they will invest differently. I think they will be more informed. I think they will be more systematic. They will look at the strategies, the true and tested strategies of the get rich slowly philosophy versus the get rich quick. Less than 1% win on the get rich quick, 99% of people win on the get rich slowly. So I think we will see a shift from putting all your money into Bitcoin or Ethereum or Doge and a much more considered diverse strategy across asset classes and across time, you know, dollar cost average, passive investing, as Peter mentioned. This is how you build resiliency into your long-term wealth management journey. And I think we have two generations that are learning this the hard way for the first time, but every generation has to learn. And you don't learn from books. You don't learn from podcasts, if I may <laughs> say. You learn when you lose money. My kids have been investing since they were eight using an app called Stockpile. And I tell you what, they learn a hell of a lot more when the stocks go down than when they go up. Yep. <laughs> so Ben, you'll like this. I've got twin 19-year-old daughters and one of them sends me a text. She says, hey, do you have anything invested in Cardano? And so this is by no means investment advice, obviously, <laughs> just a behind the scenes chat with my daughter. I said, I've been in and out of Cardano, probably a good buy right now. I also like Solana. She goes, okay, good to know. I saw Cardano and it's a lot lower than usual. So I figured it could be a good buy. <laughs> <laughs> so we talk about a few other cryptocurrencies. She goes, that's good. What I'm trying to do right now is put a little bit of my paycheck towards crypto, a little bit in the savings. If others are thinking that way, you could probably thank the fintechs to a large degree on promoting the passive savings and investment strategies. You know, the take a hundred bucks and we'll buy Bitcoin for you for free. If that becomes part of the common financial strategy for this next generation, I don't see it automatically goes in to this other account. I think we can all learn a lot from that in any kind of financial product that we offer. I know, Ben, you guys have a similar approach when you engage one of our community banks or credit unions to be able to offer similar types of products and options. So I think hopefully to your point, Ben, this younger generation, they're seeing some of the challenges, but you know, maybe it also creates opportunities for education and a new approach to saving and investing. In my presentation last week, I showed a graph of an investment that had lost 95% of its value over about 12 months. I asked everyone to guess what the investment was. Then you can imagine the answers. Every good answer got a t-shirt and no one got the answer right. And the answer was Deutsche Bank. Yeah. <laughs> I was watching a program on TV and it's all set in the year 2000 or around the sort of dot-com crash. 
one of the characters works for Nortal Networks and she just sees in one day the entire share price of Nortel wipe out. As you say, this is something that happens. It's not just younger generations. I worked with a guy, very, very successful guy, CEO of a company, saw the opportunity in the market and bought Lehman Brothers the day before it went bankrupt, put his entire pension in there because he was going to get rich quick. So, you know, greed and suspension of knowledge yeah, yeah, yeah. is something we all suffer from. Absolutely. I mean, I listened to someone's painter and bought Cardano at the wrong time. So, <laughs> so, so I mean, so obviously, because you do, really people's painters know what they're talking yeah. about, don't they? This was really sad because he was a few years from retirement. He ended up working until the day he died. Oh, God. That is awful. Awful. Yeah, awful. he died way too young. Wow, Ben, great story. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Good thing, isn't it? A real mood killer. Yeah. <laughs> You guys want to start talking politics and religion now? Is that time? Yeah, well, a few things we'll stay well clear of. But if you were a community FI thinking about this, you might go, well, look, actually, that's not what we do. We don't want to kind of get involved in this. I mean, is there anything you'd say to those institutions which are perhaps a bit like this isn't for us? One of the things I try and stop myself doing is the burning platform thing. It's like, oh, it's going to be, oh, you know, you're going to die. It's going to, sorry, again. <laughs> Plenty of community financial institutions are extremely profitable and extremely comfortable with what they're doing today. And that's what they're going to do. And that's absolutely fine. That's not who we're talking to. We're talking to the probably less than 5% who do want to change who have both the will and the ability to change and be early adopters. You know, it's a pretty conservative market. There are those who will never change. That's fine. There were those who will follow and there will be those who will be leaders. So at our stage and at the market stage, we're really focused on trying to find the less than 5% that are willing and able to move now and be the early adopters because they see the need. Right. One of the things I've learned in my career, both at Visa and what I've been doing since, is that you can't sell to a banker who isn't buying. So don't waste your time. You need to find the ones who are looking for the solution that you have. I think that's a really, really interesting perspective. Well, we've talked about so much. We're almost out of time. So... I'd like to thank you both very much for joining us. And, you know, it's been a fascinating discussion. So I really appreciate you taking the time out of your days to talk to us. We look forward to seeing how things go over the next few months and years as the market kind of slowly comes back and recovers. And yeah, be interesting to see what happens. Thank you. Enjoy being on the show. Thank you. Buy the dip. Buy the dip. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to Dave and Dan Demystify. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault on SoundCloud. Be sure to connect with Dave Wallace and Darmish Mystery on LinkedIn. And until next time, ciao and have a marvellous week. The Dave and Dan Demystify Show is a production of NMD Plus, London, Chicago and Austin, Texas.